So we are in for a treat. Please welcome Anna Forsberg. Oh, I don't need this, right? <laughs> two, I don't need two. Uh, oh, thank you so much. I'm all, oh, I've been crying like all day yesterday and all this morning. So we'll see how this goes, okay? We'll see how this goes. Um, great. So um, she said, my name is Anna. And um, I'm, <clears throat> I'm really, really happy to be here. Uh, this is family to me, the Vineyard Nordic family, and I've missed you guys a lot. I'm both, I live in Sweden, so I'm Swedish. I, I just applied, I'm going to be a Swedish citizen because I've lived here five years without going to jail. So, oh, oh, sorry, that was Danish. No, it's not better. So, anyways, so I feel really at home here because, oh, this is just what I needed, right? He said like a thumb, and I'm like, dumb. <laughs> so, yeah. Thank you so much, right? Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Anyway, so I feel really, really at home here, right? Because I'm Danish and I'm Swedish and I love Norway and Finland. I just, this is a great place for me to be. Um, <clears throat> so I'm married to my awesome husband, Perola. Um, he's from Sweden. And it was actually here at summer camp that we did not get together. So th for the first few years of our friendship, Perola and I thought that the other one was really, really madly in love with us. And we just didn't feel the same way. So... <clears throat> Right over here, we started a really awkward, like, mutual rejection of each other. Like, mm, you're great, yeah. Mm. And then we went up to Stroke and Helen and went separate direction in Night Cafe and just didn't talk for a while. Um, then we continued to be friends, and after a few years, we did fall in love and all of those things. And now we're married, and we have three beautiful children. I think there's a picture of them. Yes. This is us on vacation. Um, yes. Uh, so we live in Sweden in Malmö in the southern, uh, southern part by the ocean. Um, I love, love, love Malmö. I just have to say, I didn't plan to say that, but I mean, so many people are like Malmö, but I'm like Malmö. I'm seriously, it's a great, great city. Uh, and every, everyone is welcome to come and <clears throat> join us for one, but also just visit us. Uh, we love visitors from all over the Vineyard Nordic. So if you have your way through, just please, please come by. Um, I wasn't planning on doing this, but I'm going to do it anyway, because um, I usually lead kids camp, like I've been in kids camp all week, and now I have the microphone, so I get to decide what you guys are doing for a little while, <laughs> and I was thinking that we could, all of us, pray for the kids in the kids camp right now, okay? So what we're going to do is I'm going to turn, turn my back to you, and we can all stretch, all the kids are over here, okay? So just stretch out your arms and pray for the kids <clears throat> that are there. You can just mention names out loud that you know, because <clears throat> a South African friend of mine, he said to me, in Africa, um, like raising a child takes a village, right? You've heard this. And he said, but in Scandinavia, it is like 
desperate, uh, confused parents on their own little islands being all isolated. And we need to be, our church family needs to have a kingdom culture mindset about raising up children together, okay? So we're going to pray for kids now. Pray for your own kids and pray for the other kids that you know by name. That God would come now in the kids camp on them so that they would encounter him, okay? So I'm just going to pray with you guys for all the kids that are here, okay? So God, I thank you for all of the kids in the kids' camp. I pray that your spirit would come powerfully on them, that they would see pictures uh, of what you want to play with them today and what you're, yeah, just let them see you. Pray that they would see you. Amen. Sorry, I will not turn my back on you guys again. Um, Right. Uh, When praying about the theme for the camp um, and preparing for today, I was doing laundry and I was chatting to God and saying, stepping out. And I felt God saying back to me, stepping out is really stepping in. Stepping out, you need to step into my presence, just like Fleming said on Sunday night. So I want to talk about stepping into God's presence. And what came to, me, to mind for me in pondering this was Moses. <clears throat> um, so we'll be spending some time <clears throat> talking about his life and his leadership and how that can um, guide us today. Because we can go on many endeavors for God, right? Without God. But stepping out and then stepping into God's presence, that's really like insisting I will go nowhere without God, right? Moses refused to go on without God, <clears throat> And this story is found in Exodus. Uh, Exodus is the second book of Moses, as we say here. And Exodus means like ex out, odos in Greek, road. So it's the road out. It's the stepping out book. So really appropriate for us to talk about it today, right? Um, I want to give some background to this. Uh, so the Israelites have been slaves in Egypt for 400 years. Okay? 400 years, that's a long time of slave mentality. Um, they were not allowed to go away from their work to worship. They were their work. Okay? Moses is born into this. He's also a slave. And uh, Pharaoh is afraid that all of the slaves will rebel, so he just orders all the baby boys to be killed. And so Moses is supposed to be killed, but miraculously, he's brought up as an Egyptian prince. Right. Um, and Moses grows up, and he, um, he sees an um, Egyptian man attack a Hebrew slave. And Moses gets really furious. He's angry about the slavery. He gets so upset that he just decides, I'm going to take care of this. I'm going to take matters into my own hand. And he kills the Egyptians. Um, <clears throat> God, he's found out and he has to flee. And so he meets with God in the desert and he goes back to Egypt and he leads the people out and uh, the story we're at now is when they've arrived at Mount Sinai. (laughs) I'm going to read it in just a moment. Um, And what happens here is that Moses is going up the mountain to get the Ten Commandments, the two tablets, and he's taking a really long time in God's presence. He's taking a really long time up there and the Israelites are getting frustrated because they're not used to this and so they rebel. And they decide, you know, this Moses and God, whatever, we need protection out here in the desert. We're just going to 
make a calf. And so Aaron, Moses' brother, he makes a golden calf for them and they worship the calf. Um, And Moses and God, they get furious. Really, really furious. And God, he says, I'm going to send, you know, you can go with an angel, but I'm not coming with you. Okay? And so this story is Moses potentially going out without the presence of God, okay? This is his response to not going with God. I'm going to be reading from Exodus. It's going to be up on the screen. Whoop, I need water, I'm sorry. All right. So I'm going to be reading from Exodus chapter 33. Good. You have it up there. Yes. Now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp, some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrance to their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. As Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood and worshipped, each at the entrance to their tent. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his young aide Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. Moses said to the Lord, you have been telling me lead these people, but you've not let me know whom you'll send with me. You've said, I know you by name and you've found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. The Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Then Moses, we'll end here, it's fine. Um, so, I don't want to put the Bible on the floor. Um, <laughs> yes. Um, so, Moses, he insisted, right, that they would not go on without God's presence. Moses actually said to God after this, I would rather die than go on without you. Stepping out takes a lot of stepping into God's presence because honestly, The world doesn't need your Christian seal and stepping out without the Spirit of God. So in order to step out, Moses, he stepped into God's presence. He set up a physical tent. And from what we see from the text is that this wasn't like a one-time thing. This was continued. It was habitual. And it was for Moses and for the people. They knew what to do when he went out into the tent. They worshipped and he communed with God. It wasn't like, oh, I got instruction from God once, and now I'm off, and I'll check in with him sometime next year. No, it was Moses coming back again and again and again and to meet with God and talk to him face to face. When Moses met with God in the burning bush earlier in the story in Exodus Exodus 3, um, God was speaking to Moses in a burning bush. And Moses was so afraid that uh, he hid his face. And God told him to take off his shoes because it was holy ground. 
not wearing shoes today, is holy ground. <clears throat> God is holy. God is holy. But at the same time, he's so intensely personal. So yesterday morning, I have props with me because I usually teach children and not adults. So I had to bring some things in order to <laughs> get you guys to see where I'm going. Um, anyways, yesterday morning, I am teaching to the kids. And um, I had been preparing and I was struck by the poetry in Psalm 33. I think it's going to come up here. Um, the poetry in Psalm 33 that says, By the word of the Lord... The heavens were made. Their starry host by the breath of his mouth. Right? <clears throat> I was trying to think, like, how to get the kids like, to grapple with, like, what does it mean that God that can breathe stars, he can breathe stars, he can breathe stars. Like, and he wants to be our friend. What does that mean? <clears throat> so um, I was um, going like this, like, God can breathe. <sighs> and then I said, I'm... I have confetti that's the shape of stars in my hands. And I go, and God can breathe <sighs> stars, right? And what I should have anticipated, because I have small children, 45 kids come running up, right? <clears throat> because they all want their own stars. So I had to be like, no, sit down in groups and get more stars and like blowing stars everywhere in the room. <clears throat> and they all got their own star. <clears throat> But the thing is, this is what came to mind when I was reading this about Moses, right? The mouth of God that has, he, bre he still breathes stars. Like, this is a continual thing for him. He's still creating the universe, doing it with his mouth, right? And that mouth is the mouth that is talking to Moses face to face. Do you realize that you get to be friends with a God that's the creator of everything, Right? that can breathe stars, and yet he, his mouth is talking to you like it's talking to Moses. It's just mind-blowing. Um, and I am in awe that the star-breathing creator wants to be my friend. Like we see in John 15, 15, like Jesus says, um, I don't call you servants, I call you friends. It is huge, it is huge. We get to belong to God's family. I have my next prop here. When I was in college, uh, so I have a degree in social work and in refugee studies, um, and we had a psychology professor, and she was herself a refugee. <clears throat> and uh, we were given 10 post-it notes one day in class. We didn't know what it was for. And she said, you have to write 10 things about yourself, 10 identity markers, something that's important about you on these notes. And everyone writes on the notes. Um, and then we're asked to like, uh, list the notes like, <clears throat> from the least important to the most important. So number 10 is the least important, and number one is the most important. And we have our little stack of post-it notes. And she says, <clears throat> imagine all sitting in a classroom, and she said, take away number 10 post-it note, and settle into the feeling of what it feels like to lose that today. We do it with number 10. And she said, and take number 9, and settle into the feeling of losing that identity marker, right? And we've written, you know, I'm a daughter, I'm a friend, I live in this city, I have this hobby, I have this work title, all of these things that are a part of who we are. And we lose them one by one. <clears throat> and I remember still so clearly sitting in that classroom. <clears throat> and it brings, it brings tears to my eyes because on the last post-it note, <laughs> 
understood child of God, right? I am many things. I am. But when it comes down to it, and even if nothing else, I am that. So this was an exercise. Okay, I'm just going to take some water and pretend that that's why. This was an exercise that we had, we are all social workers training, right? This was an exercise to evoke compassion and understanding for people forced to flee, okay? Losing three or five or even ten post-it notes or identity markers of who they are in a single day or in a few days. And I encourage you to try the exercise. Um, I think right now in Europe we need to be compassionate and we need to think about how we think about people that are forced to flee. But <laughs> it also, the 10 things that you write down on the post-it notes, it reveals, <clears throat> it reveals quite a lot about um, your identity structure and where you find meaning and purpose. <clears throat> Now, in my, on my post-it, I primarily identified as a child of God. <clears throat> But for me personally, that identity has been and often still is Um, challenged by the slightly different but somehow twin identity of servant of God, right? I am a doer. I like to do things. And I can easily get dragged into like um, <clears throat> doing things for God instead of being with God. <clears throat> Spending time in his presence and insisting like Moses that he would go with me, right? <clears throat> I just often go without him. <laughs> Um, one time I remember lying on our floor scrubbing, like scrubbing the floors, right? And uh, we were having, like the house is going to be full of guests because we're church planting and that's what it is. You get people in your house all the time. And so I'm scrubbing the floor and I'm being, um, I'm being rather nasty, if I have to be honest, in my mind towards Perola because I'm like, he's not helping me with the floors and the house and Minita and I have the food. And, and then I hear God saying to me, um, <clears throat> do you want to present a clean house or a clean heart? Because today, you don't really seem to be able to do both. <laughs> and, <clears throat> he was, <laughs> and he was not, he was not rebuking me, okay? He was not rebuking me. He was inviting me. He was inviting me into his presence to be with him, to have community with him and the people coming to our house not worrying about the floors, right? <clears throat> It's an invitation. And it really stopped me in my tracks on the floor, but sadly, I couldn't stop cleaning the floors. When Moses, he stepped into God's presence in that tent and talked to him like a friend face to face, there was something else that he didn't do. Okay, Moses, he insisted on God's presence. And I often insist on and settle with my own presence and my strength, and it doesn't get me very far. Um, and as you see, like Moses in the text that we've just read, like he insists, you know, that God would go with him. But Moses wasn't always like that. You know, when he killed the, the Egyptian man that had attacked the Hebrew slave, he was acting, you know, in his own power. Like he was using his own, like literally his own hands to solve the slave problem. His hands, his strength, his way of doing things, right? And it got him expelled. Um, we need to go with God. <clears throat> Two weeks after our first child, Samuel, he's six now, um, 
He's a wonderful, wonderful boy. Uh, sorry, that had nothing to do with it. I just, I was thinking of him. And then anyways, we sent, we, he was born, and then we sent God, we sent God leading us away. We were living in Copenhagen, and we sent God. He was like closing down that chapter of our lives, and something new, and it, something new was going to happen, and we didn't know what it was. And we had just become parents, which is a huge deal in terms of identity and calling and trying to figure out, you know, how to keep an infant alive and all of those things. Um, and um, we wanted as a, our family to know, like, why, where are you calling us, God? So both my husband and I, Perla, um, we have been called, we felt called to be missionaries our whole lives, right? So we've made, like, decisions off of that. We've learned languages to, you know, go in that direction, and we've gone to university. Like, Perola works as a doctor, and I'm a social worker, and we did that because we're going to go out into the mission field and be missionaries. Like, this is it, right? So we go off to Australia because we're going to a, a Bible school that trains medical missionaries, right? So we're here, and I'm so excited. I'm like, finally, like, we got together after all of the rejection and misunderstandings and stuff going on over here we're finally a family, and we're on our way, right? So we're in Australia, and we're just waiting. Like I'm, I'm like, God, I will go anywhere for you. I was so excited um, because I was, you know, I was making lists of, like, I'm willing to give up this, and I'm going to live in poverty, and my child doesn't have to know their grandparents. And I was, like, going with all of these things, like, oh, I'm so ready, God. And I was like, where do you want me? This was me, right? And then God says, Nothing. Okay, he said nothing to us. Um, really nothing. Like no country, no sense of direction. And everyone is leaving, right? Leaving Australia to go to their different countries. Um, and we didn't know because we didn't have a place in Copenhagen anymore. We had like quit everything. Um, and we became really desperate for God to show us where to go. <clears throat> um, anyways, we're desperate, desperate. I'm not going to share that story because it's embarrassing. Anyway, we... <laughs> We were really desperate in trying to listen to like the word of God in ways that was just like we gave. Okay, I'm going to share it because I have to. We gave Samuel. We gave Samuel like he was three months old at this time. Okay, so we give him like a pencil in his hand and we're like praying to God. Like, what if like what if yeah what if what if he like what if like he suddenly writes or like we can see that it's like the the country of like. Okay, now you know me. And anyways, this is really embarrassing, but that was how desperate we were because we didn't have a place to live and we had a child and it was just insane. But then finally, okay, finally, God, he spoke. Okay, he said, you are going to raise a family that loves me. And I was like, yes, God, let's go. I love you. Where to next, right? And then again, silence, okay? That was it, love God. I was so excited about my identity as a missionary. All the things I should do for God, all of the stepping out, right, in my strength. I was going to step on some people. That was what I was going to do. I was earning my way in my servant identity, out there stepping out. And in God's kindness, he told me that he had never asked for those specific sacrifices, right? And he led me to a desert that took a year and a half to get through. Um, Magnus Malm, he's a Swedish Christian author um, and retreat leader. And he has this wonderful little prophetic book from the 80s called Vägvisade, Vägvisa in Danish. I don't know if it's translated. It means like how to go on or something, yeah. Uh, Yeah. 
it, he says it so well in there. He says, no one has to wonder and grapple about what God has called us to. He has called us to Christ. We have a primary calling into his presence and down to his feet. Okay? The identity of being an apprentice of Jesus, a friend of God like Moses, a child of God, beloved child. That is the calling. Full stop. Okay? That is the calling. Really, I was and I am called to himself. Now, today that gives me a sigh of relief, right? Oh. But then, when waiting for God in all of this, it was horrible. You know, I don't want to romanticize waiting for God because it was gut-wrenching. I hated it, okay? Most of you that know me, those years were not easy years, okay? Um, because I had to relearn everything I knew about why God cares about me. When ultimately, what we do with our time and our money and our resources, it's super important, okay? It's super important. I'm not saying anything else. It's really important. But the most important thing about me is still the inner post-it. I am a child of God. And no circumstances and poor choices on my part and missed opportunities can take that away. I get to be friends with God, okay? I get to be friends with God. And so a very basic rule to friendship is what you, that you know like what the person is like. It's very basic. Um, and three years ago when we were here at summer camp, um, my, uh, my child, Samuel, he was three, he said to me, oh, mom, uh, I saw Jesus this morning. You know, and you, when your child says something like that, you're like... <sighs> and, but I was trying to act like all cool and be like, oh, okay, what did he do? Like... And then he told me, um, oh, Jesus, he was in like the main, like the big hall where we meet. He was in the big hall and he was dancing and doing the movements with the, kid, with the kids in the kids' worship. Knew this. Mm-hmm. Okay. <clears throat> right there. Okay. He was dancing. And I was speechless. Okay, because of all the things I would imagine Jesus doing, okay, dancing with children was not one of them. Okay, sadly, because from the Bible that would seem very likely, but to me, Jesus was stern and serious and very concerned about my stepping out, my doing good. He wasn't dancing with children, okay? But my friend, your friend, our God, he breathes stars and he dances with kids. And that's what we invite people into, okay? I've struggled <clears throat> with when you invite people into relationship with God. If I had stayed a servant, I would invite other people into, come join my slavery. It's not attractive, people. <laughs> it's not attractive, okay? <clears throat> it changes how we see inviting people in, right? Because we, we invite him into friendship, okay? <clears throat> and Moses, he wanted to know what his friend was like. So he asked him, what is your name? <clears throat> Very basic, need to know things about your friend, right? And when I was preparing for today, I was reading a book called The Pentateuch as Narrative. The Pentateuch is the five books of Moses. And it's a wonderful book uh, on the books of Moses. And the Old Testament scholar that wrote it, John Salehammer, he commented on Yahweh's character, because really God's character is in his name, right? Um, <clears throat> so he commented on Yahweh's character and name like this. And I think it will come up on the screen. The name, too many papers. The name of God, Yahweh, 
is meant to convey he who is present or he who has promised to be present with his people. In giving his name to Moses, then God not only promised to be present with him and his people, but also recalled the promise itself, he who is with us. He who is with us. What a fantastic name for God, right? Kind of like Emmanuel, one of Jesus' names, means God with us, okay? God's name and his character is found in his name. His name is that he is with us. He's with you and he is with me. Moses, he went from hiding his face, you know, when meeting God, um, into talking to him face to face. And once he found that friendship, he insisted that they would go together. Don't settle, please don't settle on being God's servant when you get to be his friend. I serve God, I do, and I work hard and I believe in that, but I'm not a servant, I serve him. I am his friend, okay? And friends are different than servants. My, uh, we have an almost two-year-old, and she's learning to speak, and so she's speaking Danish and Swedish. Um, and so all, you're like, every little word, you're like, oh, is it a Danish one or a Swedish one? And, you know, we're keeping count, kind of, and, and I'm winning. Just, uh, and it's, but uh, she, one of her first words was kramis. That's a Swedish word, but I really like it. Kramis means little hug or a sweet hug. So it's a children's word for a hug, right? And she goes around and she just goes, Kramis! And the whole family is just like, I'll volunteer. You know, you want those little snuggles with a two-year-old. That's the way it is with kids, right? Not servants. Servants don't go, Kramis! Children, they go, Kramis! God, I need you right now. Like, my children will take my hands and they will put my hands on their faces when they need comfort. Okay? <clears throat> and they will wrap my arms around them when they need a hug. They won't say Karami's the big ones anymore. They just go, take, you know, give me a hug. I need a hug. This is what we get to do. We get to just like take God's hand and be like, I need Karami's. <clears throat> the servants don't get to do that. <clears throat> so don't settle on being God's servant. Be his friend. <clears throat> so Moses, he had a tent, right? And Jesus, he went to solitary, like he went up to mountains and solitary places uh, to meet with God, right? There's this element of taking time away to be with God and to be in God's presence. And it's more important than anything else, the tent or on the mountain in the morning that we see Jesus doing. But I'm a mother. I had three kids in five years. When I get up early in the morning, honestly, it's not because of God. I've gotten up really, really early all week here because my kids are really excited about being at camp during the day and then during the night, not so much. Um, But seasons in life, they change, right? I'm a mother right now. I don't get up early to be with God. I get up early to take care of my children. Um, And if the only way to God's presence was through like uninterrupted worship and prayer for hours to get into God's presence, I would be out. I mean... There'd be no God's presence for me for a while here. And that's not the way it is. There's no formula. Like, there's no um, guilty conscience. There is invitation, okay? To take off your shoes. To take off your shoes like Moses. Because that relationship is holy. It is a holy relationship. But you get to meet him face to face. Um, Obviously, like, seeking God's presence. We're the vineyard, right? Um, We worship Wonderful worship this morning and last night. I was, oh, oh, so good, thank you. 
Um, a few uh, months back, the Swedish pastors we met, um, and then Mats Jorsson from Jön Köping Vineyard, somewhere here, he reminded us um, that um, the vineyard, it started with desperate, desperate and disillusioned people who worshipped. That's how, that's how we started, with desperate and disillusioned people that worshipped. Okay? So if you're tired and confused and heartbroken and also disappointed after the pandemic, you're in a really good place to worship. Um, and we worship, you know, with music. But <clears throat> uh, a few weeks ago, we had a service in our church and, uh, or like a gathering and we're singing and we're singing some songs in English. And uh, I'm singing and then a girl comes, beautiful five-year-old Vera. Um, Vera is bilingual. She speaks Swedish and, and, and English at her house. And she comes and she, she pulls me like this and I sit down and I say, what's up, Vera? And she says, <clears throat> you have to stop them. They're singing in Swedish now and there are people over here that only speak English. You need to change the words so that they can also participate, right? And I say to Vera, like, that's, you know such a beautiful thing that you're saying you want to include them but we also have people in the church that only speak Swedish so we have to do both and you're just really lucky that you get to do both things <clears throat> the thing is Vera <clears throat> she interrupted my singing because I was talking to her she interrupted my singing but she did not interrupt my worship okay she led me to worship because she included everyone she wanted everyone to be able to enter into the presence of God okay so you can be led in worship by a five-year-old that's not even singing but that's wanting everyone to get to experience who he is um so <clears throat> spending time in God's presence we worship right but we also pray um <clears throat> and recently I heard this wonderful line from Dallas Willard that we shouldn't get a prayer life like a prayer life it sounds like something that we need to do more of, but we don't, it, it's just draining, and so it's just like this guilty conscious thing that we have back here, and we don't do it. We don't need a prayer life, we need a praying life. Hmm? <clears throat> and I took a clue from the disciples when struggling with praying, um, and I asked, they asked, you know, the disciples they had asked when they <clears throat> didn't know how to pray, they asked Jesus, like they didn't ask for ministry strategies and let's, how do we do this? They asked, we see you talking to God in a way that we want to be able to talk to God, please teach us how to pray. That's what this disciple, <laughs> that's what they asked, right? And what Jesus gave them is the Lord's Prayer. Um, I learned it as a child, as you do, and then I sort of abandoned it. <clears throat> but, and I know you're all wondering why I have a, a unicorn umbrella with me. Um, <clears throat> Uh, I have a four-year-old, so I have many, like, everything is unicorn, right? Um, <clears throat> but, um, okay, Instagram, this is random, but I'll give it to you. Uh, so Instagram, like, the things that it suggests for me is, um, like, uh, gender reveal parties. Seen those? Gender reveal parties where it's like you see someone else that you don't know at all. Like, they have seven girls, and they're, like, waiting to see if they get a boy. And it's like, is th are they disappointed or are they glad? Like, this is, like, the real. It's like a few seconds you see a family go, woo, or no. And um, <clears throat> so this happens for me. This is Instagram for me, right? So I go, and it's just, like, 45 minutes. All of a sudden, I've spent 45 minutes just, like, watching random people I don't know to see what, what kind of gender their babies have. 
it's insane, okay? We need to not go on Instagram. And so instead of going to Instagram, I've decided that when I get like the, uh, you know, phone, I need some distraction, I've decided when my, my fingers think to go to Instagram, <clears throat> they go to this umbrella instead, okay? The Lord's Prayer. I was teaching the kids in our church um, about praying and what it means, right? Um, and it's like sticking up an umbrella. It's raining, right? We need it's storms, rain, like life is difficult. We need an umbrella to protect us. And so when we put up the umbrella, that's us standing under the umbrella, getting protection from God, right? <clears throat> and so for me, read it now instead of Instagram and praying the Lord's Prayer. So let's see if they fall down. Okay, so I'm really children's pastor here. Um, whoop. And I stand under, right? Prayer keeps the rain off. But what falls on me underneath? What's raining in the umbrella? And now they're all sorry. Their hearts, if you can't see. Okay, what rains on me when praying the Lord's Prayer is his love. Okay? And I stand here, and you can do this. Like the the Israelites, it says that they worshipped in their tents. And they just did like this. Have you ever wondered about that in the Old Testament? It says like they bowed their heads and they worshipped. And I've always wondered like what does that mean? But you can do that, like, in the grocery store, like, queue line. Instead of going on your phone like everyone else, you just go, and you worship there. And you imagine, if you need some visual stuff, that you take up an umbrella, you put it up, and you stand under God's love, and you ask for protection. And I, I now I pray the Lord's Prayer with that. <clears throat> but I usually don't get beyond our Father. Because right now, that's, that's where I need to be. Our Father is... I get to be a child of God, and I need that truth um, a lot right now. So I just stay there, under the umbrella, our Father. It means that I get to be his child, and everyone else that I'm around me, also child of God. Uh, um, So I should have looked at that. Okay. Um, Sorry. Um... I'm supposed to finish now, so I'm just going to do that. Um, Frustrating. Um, Anyways. uh, Okay, uh, I'll close off. Um, I love the little line. I think it's going to be up on the screen. Um, From the text. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his young aide Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. His young aide, Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. Why didn't he leave the tent? Because God's spirit was there, okay? The aroma was there. He wanted to hang around. Let's be Joshua people that linger, okay? Linger in God's presence. And Joshua, he went on to be the leader, and he conquered the promised land, and he was an awesome leader. But I think that the key to his boldness is found right here. The key to his, like, he he obeyed God at Jericho. He had to walk around in silence with, like, so many people in silence for six days. That's obedience and trust in God, okay? Joshua, he knew God's presence. And I think that this is why, because he lingered, right? He stuck around in God's presence. It took a lot of courage to stay at it in Jericho. I usually, if I'm doing something awkward or difficult in the kingdom of God, then 
if I stuck it out six minutes, I'm doing good. Okay, he, he did something that was strange to people and that like he had to trust that God knew what he was doing for six days straight, okay? Because he knew God's presence. He was lingering. Like my children, they linger um, when I've told them to do something, uh, like pick up their toys, and they just linger and hang out around me um, <clears throat> because it just doesn't really appeal to them to pick up the toys right there and then. And sometimes they just don't want to pick up toys. Sometimes they have something heavy that they want to share, and so they linger. They just, like, stick, stuck around. You can tell they're not really... They don't really know where to go. They're just, like, walking around. Have you had children like that? Like, mm, And they linger, okay? And it makes me so happy as a mother <clears throat> that they hang out around me, okay? They linger, okay? Let's be people that linger, that linger in God's presence, <clears throat> that talk to him face to face. Yes, I think I'm going to close here um, because we need Fika. Um, I'm just going to pray for you guys if, to end if that's okay. We have two minutes. <clears throat> um, so a picture came to mind for me this morning as I was preparing for this. Um, I haven't had glasses my whole life. Um, when I was pregnant, they found out that, well, I found out that I couldn't see. Um, so I was, um, I was like in a museum and my cousin was like, oh, that's that amazing artist over here and I was like wow you really like know him by heart you can just say and she's like no I'm reading on the sign and I was like I didn't even see that there was a sign to read so I realized I needed to get glasses and so I went in and and I thought you know it was the hormones with the pregnancy you can that can change your eyesight but um it was really just that I had needed glasses my whole life and I didn't know then I was running into trees trees as a child a lot but and they checked but they didn't find anything but 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 they told me I had needed glasses my whole life and I didn't have them. And then in the story, they make these like makeup glasses that are not real glasses, but just like they're trying on to see if this is the right fit for you. And they said, can you just go into the store because we need to make sure because it's really strange that you just have gone around without glasses for 35 years. And um, I put them on and I go out into the store and I, I, I saw colors that I hadn't seen before. Um, and not like I knew that there was blue, but it was just I didn't know that there was blue in that place. Um, and so everything became a lot clearer. Now I can't, I get man, headaches without glasses, right? But this is the thing. I've been a servant of God for many, I've known God my whole life, and I've been a servant of God for many years without being his friend. Okay? I've been a servant, and I've led things, and, and, and I wasn't his friend. And so if that's you that can relate to the glasses thing, that you've gone on your whole life and it's like, oh, wow, there was something else. There was something more. There was something besides being the servant. There was being a friend, okay? Um, I'm just going to close in prayer um, if that is you. And for all of us, just to grow in intimacy. Um, So take off your shoes and see him face to face. Right? He breathes stars. He's amazing. I'm just going to pray for you guys. <clears throat> so God, I thank you um, that you're here. You're here at this camp. You're in the kids' camp. You're wherever we are. It's not just when we're in here. It's everywhere. Thank you that you made beautiful nature here and that we get to be with you here. And I pray for anyone that's in here, and I pray for myself, that I would no longer reject to be a servant and enter into being your friend. We welcome friendship with you. God, thank you that we get to be called not servants, but friends.
Bless you all. Amen.